Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films, and yes, the expanded universe, we dabble in history, stress the euphemisms, and strive to have a hell of a good swashbuckler time each and almost every week. I'm your host, Scott Artist from the aptly named ScottArtist.com. And I'm Heather Artist from... BlackPearlMinute.com. You screwed it up. You had one time that you actually did it. We played the Hallelujah last time, and now you screwed it up again. You just <laughs> BlackPearlShow.com. You got messed up because I said almost every week. No, what messed me up is that when you said, I'm your host. That's what actually messed me, messed oh, me up. Am I not the host? Yeah, but you don't normally say that, so it threw me off. Sometimes the little things throw you off. <laughs> Thanks for joining us during this crazy season two, dropping episode 101 to the masses. We're talking minutes 106 and 107 today, and you thought we wouldn't come back. (laughs) That's because Heather tried to commandeer part of the prize package last time that went to Doug Barbeau, but it's on its way. You tried to steal it, the prize package that was out there, and I'm serious i mean you know thanks again to everyone we love the support everybody who entered but it's funny because we teased the win in our cursed listeners crew group when we actually announced the winner or we're gonna announce the winner on that show yeah and then doug jumped in like right away and declared he was the winner he basically said it was him that won wasn't it and then i said back that he could actually like grease the wheels with some pieces of eight and then you're like well you know i don't know if you should say that there because people are actually gonna Think that he did grease the wheels to win because he ended up being the winner. So it was a little, little awkward, I guess. It's just a little, little. Yeah, a little, little. But what can you expect? Sometimes I just invite controversy. But it was all done fair and square. Pirate fair and square. No, okay, no pirate trick. Yeah, I was going to say. But I do need to give Doug a wink and a thanks for him for the, the pocket of the blooms in my pocket now. I want to know how he knew he was a winner. That's a good question. I think he has magic powers. But I swear it was something else, pretty sure. The wink and the nod that he didn't actually give us <laughs> the balloons. But I forgot to mention that I did watch one of those Pirates of the Caribbean fan films that Sci-Fi ranked. Remember I was talking about those? The one I walked those? in the room and I said, what is this? Yeah, I watched number one. You're all, what the hell are you watching? You just come in and you see some <laughs> weird random pirate action. Well, there was a whole bunch of jacks, but they didn't match. That's exactly right. They did kind of match. I thought they were pretty well yeah, done. Yeah, but they, not, they, didn't, they weren't... Like mirror jacks. Some of them were, but some of them weren't. I'm sorry that they didn't have a multi-million dollar budget. But I have to say I was entertained with it. It had all the elements I want in a pirate fan film. There was a French subtitle. <laughs> or actually it wasn't. Okay. This one was actually French but dubbed in English. So I can say check. 
I mean, this is serious filmmaking. No subtitles here. French film dubbed into English. No. I I ended up watching the actual dubbed into English version. Oh, okay. So there was no subtitles. but So their mouth were moving in French? It's like watching a Godzilla movie. That's what I'm asking. Their mouths were moving in French, but it was actually, actually English that was talking. Yeah, kind of, I guess. I don't what know. What does that mean? Well, yeah, but it's not like I was l- reading their lips for French. I'm not a French okay. speaker. But their yes, lips you're didn't correct. didn't match the words that were coming out of their mouth. Well, I wasn't okay. I, I wasn't paying attention that closely. We always it wasn't pay like attention a, to that. It How wasn't like not? a kung fu movie or something from the old days when the guy would keep talking and then the English would be done. Yeah, but it did have, like I said, dubbed English. That's a check. Rum had rum in it. That's a check. Cotton's parrot. Yeah, did, there was did, a parrot. Did he speak English or French? Uh, that's a good question. It was English. So parrot was also dubbed into English. How do you know? Because I could understand it that it was parrot. parrot. It was parrot. It was parrot, but I could understand that it was parrot. Therefore, yeah, but how it was, was his beak moving? It was... <laughs> <laughs> swear. The parrot... <laughs> Was speaking. Parlez-vous français? No, the parrot wasn't speaking French. It was actually speaking cockatiel, but <laughs> they dubbed it into parrot. There what kind go. of parrot was it? A blue and gold? Yeah, it's the same one. Oh, okay. Cotton's parrot, like, looked like him. There was also uh, Rum Runner's Isle. Check on that. And Captain Jack Sparrow, drunk and seeing himself, like you mentioned, multiple Jack Sparrows running around. So, yeah, I'll post it in our Facebook group. Everyone can check it out there. Let us know what you think. But it has quite a few callbacks. Even Barbosa, who keeps his face hidden from the camera, though. Are you posting it in French or English? I will post it in English. Okay. I don't even know where I was. I mean, there's like a pirate ship. Barbosa, you said. There's Barbosa. There's a pirate ship. I mean, basically, it's a prequel. It's like action taking place right at the point of the Black Pearl Mutiny, where Sparrow's then marooned. Because I couldn't get it out. (laughs) Marooned on Rum Runner's Isle. I was actually trying to say marooned, but I kept wanting to say rumored. It's like he was rumored on Rum Runner's Isle. There's a rumor Jack Sparrow's there. Rumored to be on Rum Rum Runner's Isle. You can't even say it. It's not rum. That's possible. But it does give us some good moments, this fan film. I mean, including how he was tipped off about the hidden rum and how he escaped his isolation. (laughs) He says you were going to talk about Howie. No, not Howie. Howie. (laughs) I think we're just both out of step because we haven't been, it feels like we haven't done this in weeks. But that's not true. But I won't spoil the fan film here, though. But it brings some nice features, and it does drop hints and lines attributed to the other films. Like I said, some callbacks. All in all, it's not bad. I actually started to get more interested in it right when it was ending. He's bargaining for a ride off the island, Jack Sparrow. But it cuts out, and I wasn't expecting it. I was like, damn it. (laughs) But that was kind of like retribution for teasing everyone with the winner of the last episode. But yeah, I'll post it. You can see what you think. But it was a take on... Jack being on the island and all that kind of callback stuff. But oh well. I mean, it's called Pirates of the Caribbean, The Edge of Oblivion. Not much else on the news front besides a fan film. An old fan film, by the way. Not after the big Pirates of the Caribbean 6 bomb that dropped earlier in August. So I'm just going to say that. So that only leaves us with one thing. What in the blimey hell is the word of the week? Ahoy there, scallywags. Pirate word of the week in 5, 4, 3, 2, yarr. The word of the week is sea snake. Sea snake? Sea snake. Better keep your sea snake to yourself. 
Sea snake. I thought I just said that. Oh, this is not going to be a good episode. <laughs> it's a treacherous, conniving, or deceitful person. You're really going all out with the drama over there. <laughs> Dramatic reading, perhaps? <laughs> I figured Jack was a sea snake in this minute. Yeah, that's actually a good fit for this yeah, particular minute. I know. That's why I picked it. The word actually came from... Biology. The Crimson Pirate. You really did a big sigh over there, too, by the way. Well, come on. Captain Vallo said, Pack on all canvas, you fairy tale sea snakes. That's some colorful language going on over there. Exactly, see? There you go. I don't really have any comments on it. Okay. Sea snake is all right. It's because it's All right. It's Jack right in this It is, but I'm just saying it's it's a word I've heard is kind of what I'm getting at. it's a real creature. It's not like you're throwing some kind of blimey cockroach thing at me again. That's all I'm saying. You can't have blimey cockroach all the time. That's true. In the previous minutes, on Isla Cruces, Norrington uses his shovel. Captain Jack Sparrow (laughs) gets in position. Elizabeth Swan holds his compass. Surprise. Jack drops an I want your bum euphemism. Pintel and Rigetti. Okay, well, I mean, these clowns do what they do best. And Davy Jones goes down below. Wow. And where the hell is Will Turner? (laughs) What? I was just recapping some bullet points. Just bullet points. I don't know what your problem is. Seriously, they were just bullet points. Minute 106 practically begins with Captain Jack Sparrow. Notice I said practically. Didn't feel like I was mentioning that Jack finishes running over to the little digging hole there from his meditation. So I just wanted to start like practically is already there. But anyways, he runs over. (laughs) So Jack, Norrington, and Elizabeth look into Norrington's freshly dug hole at the revealed chest. And it sounded okay, actually, when I was writing the breakdown. <laughs> but saying it now, maybe a whole nother topic that we'll just maybe leave to the internet to deal with. Let's just say they retrieve a chest, and Jack begins to open it with his shovel. Minute 107 ends with Jack holding Will Turner at sword point for having attempted to open the dead man's chest containing Davy Jones's heart, continue to kill him. Will rises to his feet, and Jack asks, now if you please, the key. Ooh, things are getting pretty dicey, though. Do you think he's actually going to give him the key? We'll hand over the keys to Will. That was a weird, like, cadence you had there. Well, I've said it's it like... It's almost like Shatner. You know what? I've said it like five times now. I'm sorry. So I don't know what else to do. I'm sorry that the dogs were digging in, <laughs> like... Well, actually, they were rustling the the paper package that we're getting ready to send to Doug for his prize package. You said it was already in the mail. I said it was getting it's ready on to its, be. No, you said it was on its way, by the way. Just so you it's know. kind of, well, on its way means that it's being packaged up <laughs> and it's being dropped off this weekend at the post office. Oh, that's what on its way means. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it means. Yeah. I think you're hammered over there. But no, I don't think he's going to do that. And I don't think the dogs are going to be quiet. And I think that this show had a rough start because it's like we're we're dead tired. And and I think that there's a lot of things happening right now. And now I think you're overly tired and you're going to just be a, you're just going to be a crazy person over there. Cuz for one thing, you've started in a weird spot. Right to the trust Jack with the keys. That's yeah, just but, weird to jump yeah, there. Cuz with wait, all these wait, things, wait, wait, no. Wait, wait, wait. No way That's am I letting you commandeer the mind. show. A, you're holding a wand to your head. <laughs> Literally, Harry Potter's wand. So you're it's, you're taking the show off the rails. It's I'm trying to get Voldemort's this back. Wand. That's even worse. With all these things about to heat up and this tension in these like couple of minutes, you know the one thing that really caught my eye? It's the contents of the chest. The contents of the chest Jack opens. That's what I'm saying. 
that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to start in the beginning with the opening of the chest. Because I don't have a lot of details, but then again, there are numerous details I didn't expect. And maybe some problems or questions that I have or asked. Because let me first step back here and give a bit of a recap to the chest thing here. Davy Jones' chest, yeah. Because I know most of the audience listening to the show, because I'm going to ignore you. A show dedicated (laughs) to Pirates of the Caribbean has probably never seen the movie, let alone more than once. But after Calypso betrayed him, this is Davy Jones we're talking about here, not by meeting him after his 10-year duty to ferry souls into the locker there. Jones carved out his own heart from his body. He placed it within Dead Man's chest, which was, you know, subsequently buried in Isla Cruces. So it could be safe from potential mutineers aboard the Flying Dutchman and away from his haunted site, I shall say. But many of the legends concerning the chest say that whomever opened the chest and obtained Jones's heart would control Davy Jones, the Flying Dutchman, and the crew, and the Kraken Beast, right? Yeah. Effectively controlling the entire ocean. But as Jack points out, if you kill Jones, then the Kraken continues to ravage the seas. So it's this idea that no one can call off the order to capture Jack and the Black Pearl. If Jones is dead, is he the only one who's able to call off the Kraken hunt? Or the hunting Kraken, right? Yeah, that's what Jack is saying but, here. But if you open the chest and you have the heart, then you can control all that. Right. But if you kill Jones, then it's like the Kraken is just off on its last orders kind of thing right but anyways the details of the chest the chest within a chest because we have a bunch of letters tied with various pieces of lace and ribbon which i can only imagine are love letters from calypso i find it interesting that elizabeth sorry i have kira on here for some reason that elizabeth finds the letters the most interesting thing in this chest and she actually opens it up and starts reading one of the letters you almost trapped me to say something about Of course she would be nosy enough to open somebody else's love letters. Trust me, that's not shocking. I'm just saying that. You'd probably do the same thing. Yeah, you'd do the same thing. I'd be going for the treasure chest. You, yeah. You go, oh, this is cute. You're wondering who loves. No, I wasn't wondering that. I was really more concerned with the chest, the treasure chest. But there's little mementos in there. Kind of the stuff I imagine him thinking about while he's dozing off at the organ. The whole Will Turner (laughs) Stealing stuff. Sounded weird. (laughs) I didn't say falling asleep at his organ. But I was surprised to see that one of the letters, it was actually addressed to Davy Jones. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. It's his locker. I know. I shouldn't be surprised about that. But I was like thinking of the the level of detail here. The production crew went to like with all these props is that they like went over the top. Because now I'm curious as to what else was written on them. (laughs) I bet it's just like fun notes to the cast and crew. It's got to be something crazy like that. But I thought, you know, that's that's pretty good. Because they didn't really zoom in on it. You could yeah. just see it written there. So they kind of did their legwork. But here's my question, though. Yes. Everything is so dry and preserved in the chest. And now, I, you know, I understand that it's nestled among some of the dunes. And it's relatively, you know, kind of a distance from the from the reach of the tides. Yeah. But this metal container is no way airtight. And there's been a ton of corrosion from life at sea and on the salty beach. Even on the inside. That inside is just as bad as the outside. Yeah. Is this like pre-corrosion? Well... And Jones just used the chest to conceal the contents? I mean, is this something that was already done before he put his stuff in it? I'm going to say it's pre-corrosion. The chest was actually on the Flying Dutchman. And the Dutchman lives underwater. Oh, that's true. Yes. So... So it was floating around there. That's a good point. It was on there. And if it's not... 
perfectly sealed like I can't imagine it would be. Right. It doesn't then have any before he rubber used it, sealing it was, to go around it. Yeah, it was getting wet inside. Right. And, and then there. he that buried it on the beach where it's not getting wet. So the contents, in, well, it's not underwater, so it's not soaking up water. Yeah. Now I'm starting to wonder about that. Why? I'm starting to wonder how he kept those love letters and all that stuff. Why? He had to have almost... Because if his ship goes underwater and everything gets oh, wet, oh maybe no, he no, had no, to no, have no, deposited them. No. He periodically, whenever he gets new letters, goes and drops them off. Well, that's what I was wondering. Then it would have to be or that way. Or maybe Calypso puts them in there for him. No, no, no. Oh, that's an interesting point. Mm. She like drops them off in there, and yeah. then he has to go. And then and when he, he gets to come up it. every oh. ten years, he oh, goes that, and reads them. Well, that's a spectacular theory. Oh yeah, glad I thought of it because I'm okay with it though. With some of that? I mean, I'm just pointing it out. I'm not like trying to, to call fault on it. I was just wondering how that works and how he actually had paper and lace and stuff like that on board that didn't look tattered and stuff. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's an old box. Well, And then they also definitely would have used whatever they had available at sea. Right. Because they definitely would have used whatever they had available at sea. I mean, that's just standard practice. Right. Because it's not like they could just run out and get a brand new spanking chest. When they wanted one. Well, they could, but it would cost... Not necessarily, because if he couldn't set foot on land, either. But his crew can. Possibly. But I'm not sure anybody would sell any of those, that crew, anything. We only serve people here, Shark Man. Yeah. (laughs) So that, see, it just doesn't work that way. Which, speaking of, uh, like, using the materials you have at sea, because we were recently watching an episode of Pawn Stars. Yeah, we were watching Pawn Stars, learning some history from people... Selling stuff to a pawn shop. There's this one item that was pretty crazy pirate cool. And it speaks to this idea of inventing and using whatever you have on the ship. Because there was this peg leg fashioned out of a flintlock. It looked like a peg leg, but it had this gun built into it. With a trigger mechanism thing that ran up the leg. The fake leg. And the crazy thing, it actually worked. It actually fired. I was putting that in my head. I was putting that together with the gun that had two triggers. See... This is why you can't. But yeah, Sepag like had a had a trigger so he get up towards the thigh so he yeah, could grab it. Exactly when he lifted his leg. So and it actually fired. Like I said, so you're you're like under attack here. This marauding pirate is approaching you. He thinks you're just gonna like try and do some kick karate at him. <laughs> He's kind of laughing. He's got his cutlass there, but instead you blast him with a ball right from your flintlock, your flintlock leg. It's pretty cool. I wonder how heavy it was to lift it up like that. I don't know, 300 pounds? Well, they were carrying it around, so I don't think oh, it was that heavy. Probably not then. It was obviously pretty to keep light. keep it steady, though. The expert thought, that, well, okay. Really? To keep it steady like you're aiming? What, does he have to, like, get down? There's, like, a sight built on the fake knee there? Get yeah. out of here. No, you just, it's like a blunderbuss. <laughs> what is wrong with you? You just lift the leg at close range. I it's did. not like they're shooting from across the whole ship. But my ship. leg wants to go right back down. Is somebody running at you? You just lift your leg real kick. kick. Real kick? Yeah, real kick. Because you kick up and you blast the guy. You don't <laughs> aim. You're like, hey, hold still. No. You, you shoot and hope you score. And then you try and kick him. But the expert thought it was actually probably fashioned by someone on the ship using materials they had on hand. Which accounted for the patch jobs and different things like that. But it's like the necessity is the mother of all inventions. That's why they say that. Someone you know needs a flintlock uh, peg, peg leg. leg. <laughs> Might look that up. You can model it after you that. You have a pretty inventive crew there. You know they were just so spanking happy about that. <laughs> when he presented that to the captain or whoever had that, 
That guy must have got extra shot of rum or maybe for the next week. <laughs> just because even if you didn't use it, just to have it was pretty sweet. That's all I have to say. Other things in the chest. Strand of pearls. Saw those sitting right there. Now, wait, I'm not, wait, 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 no, wait, wait, wait. I'm not going to. A, I'm not going to comment of how some of those lighter things should have fallen onto the sides and not just been perfectly placed. I'm going to let that go. But there was a strand of pearls there. And I'm guessing Calypso's pearl necklace sitting right on top of the letters there. Because I'm so used to seeing modern pearls. Okay, it's not like I'm running around in pearls myself. But from just being out <laughs> in the are. world. You are. You run around in them all the time. Well, Don't that's my business. Our fans. That is my business. But you know, just out and about living life, I've seen pearls. Fake pearls. Necklaces that look like pearls, supposedly. They're round. These were clearly not perfectly spherical pearls. Than we normally see. Right. Gets back to the details the production crew used for props. Because you had to uh, say, hey, they might not be machined or just uh, polished up. Exactly. So you you tried to turn me on to that. But, I mean, okay. I mean, it would have been so easy to just drop some fake pearls in there. But they went the extra mile and added something maybe a bit more authentic to the time period. You know, these kinds... Because these, like, pearls were various shapes, not round. Right. Maybe some different sizes. But it shows... Okay, it shows that I don't run around on pearls because I thought most pearls were relatively round just from the process and however the oyster, the clam, and whatever else is making them. Well, you thought the rolling around inside the clam. I thought that the way that it spins would actually do that. make it round. And and as it's adding layers and all that kind of stuff. Biology. But that's not maybe obviously the case because I thought, well, Heather told me something, but should I take her word as gold or should I go to the internet? That's the internets, by the way. So here's the deal. These are known as Baroque pearls, which are asymmetrical in shape as opposed to the classic round shape. Any regularly shaped pearl is known as Baroque. And shapes can range from minor aberrations to distinctly oval, curved, pinched, or even lumpy shapes. According to the almost all-known Wikipedia, most cultured freshwater pearls are Baroque because freshwater pearls are mantle tissue nucleated instead of bead bead nucleated. Did everybody get that? Oh, yeah. Cultured saltwater pearls can also be broke. Not broke, but baroque. <laughs> but tend to be more teardrop-shaped due to the use of the spherical nucleation bead. Um, what, what type of bead do you have? Is it spherical nucleation? Or are you going more for, like, the, uh, the mantle tissue nucleated bead? Mantle tissue. That's what I thought. But the most valuable of baroque pearls are the South Sea and Tahitian pearls. You've heard of Tahitian pearls. Of course. Most famous. Yes. In the Gemological Institute of America, a little light reading from the <laughs> Gemology uh, Institute there, says a Chinese historian recorded the oldest written mention of natural pearls in 2206 BCE. It's before the current era. Area. This is not <laughs> a good episode. Before the current era. From those ancient times until the discovery of the New World in 1492. What happened in 1492, Heather? Columbus so, so Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Some of the outstanding sources of natural pearls were the Persian Gulf, the waters of Sri Lanka, Chinese rivers and lakes, and the rivers of Europe. Also, uh, Mr. Columbus there, during one of his third and fourth uh, voyages to the New World, he repeatedly encountered native people adorned with natural pearls, especially in the waters of present-day Venezuela and Panama, which intensified demands in Europe. And it turned out that because of that, over like the next hundred years or so, actually there was problems with people like overfishing and 
even back then to get pearls. It's like, can we not get over the overfishing thing? <laughs> no, ever, never. You know, once never. there's a resource, it's like our we job to, to uh, plunder it. Yep. Just like pirates. Everything. Resource? Oh, plunder. Yep. Oh, what should we do with that? That looks good. Well, let's, uh, let's plunder it. Might as well. It's the, uh, it's the law of the land. If it's yep. there, you plunder it. Yep. Pirate style. Till it's almost gone. That's the rules. Or in case of the great auk. Or till it's gone. Yeah, that's right. And everybody can look up the great auk. It's a pretty crazy story from uh, the Victorian era. Actually, it happened a long time before that, but the Victorian era, they thought, hey, we could really use some examples of this. And uh, yeah, they took the last ones. Nicely done, Victorian era scientist. Anyways, <laughs> pearls are said to be treasures from the earth's ponds, lakes, seas, and oceans, and always embody the mystery, power, and life-sustaining nature of water. So here you go. The spherical shape of some pearls led many cultures to associate them with the moon. And in ancient China, pearls were believed to guarantee protection from fire and fire-breathing dragons. Wow. Yeah, and in Europe, they symbolized modesty, chastity, and purity. It's probably why you don't have any pearls. Because now really? I'm thinking, hey, yeah, that's what I said. Because And I'm jumping ahead so you can't re, like, have some and kind I of retort. And I do have pearls, <laughs> by the way. How dare you? And I have both broke and... You have these? The round ones. How'd you not even tell me about that? I told if we're you. Talking, yes. I, when, you, when I seen the pearls, I said, hey, those are pearls. Are they? They don't look like say, pearls. You didn't say you have any. Yes, I did. Did you show them to me? No, I told you I had them. I wasn't listening. I Yeah, I know. Because now I'm thinking, maybe all of the things that are going on here in this chest, the pearls are the most valuable, actually. Because instead of a jar of dirt, maybe Jack should freaking wear those pearls to guarantee protection against that water dragon. We'll just call mm, it the Kraken. Yes. There you go. Yeah, pearls. Can't believe you had pearls that were like this and you couldn't show them to me. You couldn't take the time to show them when you knew I that I was interested you. in it. Oh, you totally. You were interested, obviously. Otherwise, you would have realized I said something. <sighs> it's all noise. Background noise. <laughs> now I'm getting the evil eye. The stink eye. Jack gives the old time and tide excuse to Elizabeth, too, during this whole minutes thing. So that entire idiom is, time and tide, wait for no man. One of the most, uh, well, actually, I think it's like one... I think the whole like thing is about, well, the definition. One, it's not like you can't procrastinate or delay. It's, it's like, let's get on with it. Yeah. Kind of thing. But it's a popular and oh-so-proverbial phrase, though. I think everybody's probably heard of it. Maybe. In our day, people always said time and tide. <laughs> well, I've never heard of it. You've never heard of time and tide. <laughs> no. Are you kidding me? Arr! Walk the plank. Yeah. Get the hell out of here. Really? Yeah. Well, then I stand corrected. Maybe that literally was me going, in my day, yeah. <laughs> time and tide. That was almost almost like a a, a Woody Harrelson impression of uh, that uh, famous author, Huckleberry Finn. And how come I can't think of his name? On an old Cheers episode, he did it. And it kind of sounded like his voice. Kidding me, I can't even think of this guy's name. He's a satirist. Like Tom, and, but I, it's not right. Tom, that's his name. You're just throwing out Tom. It's like Cher. Yeah. I can't think of his name. You know, kind of the uh, riverboat era guy. <laughs> this is this is so pathetic. This is really pathetic. And the fact that I can't even name another thing right now. Tom. Yeah, what is Tom? Not we are looking like idiots. Tom. <laughs> Tom. All I want to say is Tom Thumb. I can't even think. I can't even. <laughs> this is this is bad. Famous author, we're completely dropping the ball. Everybody's yelling at their radios right now. Their podcasting devices, their phones. That's so ridiculous. And I'm trying to stall while you look it up. But literally, your Google skills are the most horrid I've ever seen. Mark Twain? Mark Twain, thank you. But what? 
Yeah. That was my Mark Twain impersonation. <laughs> but what is the guy's name, though? What is the book name? The character? You don't know. It's Tom something. Yeah, I got that. But it's not. No, thank you. You're the one with the internet right now. I am looking. You got to give me a couple minutes. No, this should be instantaneous. Hey, lookup. you know what? What? It was published on my birthday, like years, you know. Okay, see, that's irrelevant to the thing I here. I thought it's no. my birthday. Now get on with it. I can't stall anymore. I'm just going to move on. Because anyways, seriously. Tom Sawyer. Thank you, Tom Sawyer. And why can't you remember Tom Sawyer? I'm sorry Sawyer? I couldn't remember Tom Sawyer. I had pearls that's on the brain. That's weird. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I, com- I forgot Mark Twain's name too. So there and, you go. And but Widow the fact- Douglas. But the fact that you had Google and you couldn't even find it within like found a it. couple of minutes. No, don't even go there. No, I found it more interesting when it was You were published. so concerned about your birthday. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Man. God. But anyways, it's kind of like the reference to death and taxes kind of thing in a way. It's a famous saying like that. I can't time believe and time? Uh, yeah, not time and time. Tide? It's time and tide. I can't believe you've never heard of it. It's not yeah. like I go around using it. I've never actually used the phrase, but I have heard of it because I'm out and about in the world. Really? You're out and about with the ancients or what? Yeah, that's where I hang out. <laughs> it's my demographic. <laughs> you must- with my plaid pants. Now shut up. <laughs> One account su- suggests that Time and Tide first appeared about 1395 in Chaucer's prologue to the clerks. The clerk's tale, actually. Ah, the clerk's tale. I know it so well. Uh-huh. Me and Chaucer... And that Mark dude. Yeah, we're, we're very close. The illiterate... Okay. In, in the beginning here of this thing, it's like time and tide was repeated in various contexts over the years, but today survives only in the proverb, okay? Which is often shortened to just time and tide, wait for no man. Or is in Jack's case, time and tide, love. And he just shortens it even further. But however, as I did a bit more digging, yeah, I did a little bit more digging on the origin... It might be a little bit uncertain, but other sources say it's clear that the phrase is ancient and it predates modern English with the earliest known record from St. Marr in 1225. Wow. Yeah. You're really old. That's not, it's not like I heard it for the first time when it was uttered. Translated that first version into English. The tides abides for, tarreth for no man, stays no man, tide nor time, tarreth no man. There you go. Mm. Yeah. It evolved into the present day version. Much more succinct and uh, it flows wait, better. Wait, wait, wait. Present day version? Version? Not virgin. I said the present day version. <laughs> or 50 years ago day version. We're talking big time scales here. So 50 years. Yeah, it's okay. okay. Maybe. And, and I think it's probably longer than 50 years ago. We're talking 100 years ago. It's probably when it was more popular. Talk, yeah. Anyways, the uh, the notion of tide being beyond man's control brings up images of the king Canute story. He demonstrated to his courtiers the limits of a king's power by failing to make the sea obey his command. And that literal interpretation of tide in the in the phrase time and tide is what is now usually understood, but wasn't actually meant in the original version of the expression to actually go about referring to actual tides. Oh, okay. Because tide didn't refer to the contemporary meaning of the word, like, you know, the, the rising and the falling yeah. of the sea kind of thing. But to a period of time. And so when this phrase was coined, tide meant a season or a time or a, a while. And the word is still with us in that sense in good tidings. There you go. Good tidings. Uh-huh. It's not like you're wishing somebody good uh, rising waters or falling waters. Right. You know, it's a good event or occasion. 
So here endeth the uh, the English lesson. Again, and my, I uh, don't use good tidings either. Uh, I use it all the time. At least I've heard of it, oh, but I don't use it. Good tidings, it. dear sir. Yeah. <laughs> but I always find it interesting how language and sayings evolve. Because it's like looking back to old English, which if you haven't done, you should definitely check some old English out. Because it's basically a completely different language. That's all I have to say about that. Okay. Yeah. What are you, Forrest Gump? No. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> that is true. Nice nice bringing that reference in. Actually, it wasn't Forrest. It was the other guy. Forrest, Forrest Talking Gump. Talking about the shrimp. No. See, you're wrong. You had it. You were so close. Are you sure? And guaranteed 100%. That's all I have to say about that. Now you made me do that stupid thing on the air. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to move along while Heather's probably trying to see if I'm correct or not. Jack drops that unfortunate idiom on Elizabeth after a good old Will pops out of the surf there. This is really a great scene, though. It's like a revelation and a reminder to Elizabeth here. Because she got so wrapped up in the flirting thing and the teasing and the the lustful gestures. Kind of all tangled in her mind and confused because she let her compass get to, you know, get she to let her. let her compass down. Yeah. What she wanted. Actually, the compass let Jack down. Didn't perform when it needed to. <laughs> but we know who she wants. I mean, that's Will. There's no doubt. Terry and Ted have continued to play up the torn between two love choice elements here. But realistically, she wants Will. It's easy to declare. I do declare she likes Will. Because her instinct kicks in when this dude pops off. That pops, pops off. off. He's all pissed <laughs> off. He's pop- Well, he does pop off a little bit. But he kind of just appears out of nowhere. Right. You know, when he comes out of the ocean. Because we don't see that. We just see him on the beach. I want to know how he heard that conversation. He was right there. He's like hovering in the background. I don't yeah, know. he was hovering. They were kind of quiet. He was oh, a ways back there. We can't do decibel levels. We don't know what he hears and not hears. Okay. But his grand beach entrance. Yes. Which, by the way, answers the question about where he was when the Flying Dutchman submerged. He was obviously left behind in the water. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't holding on anymore. He's like, screw this. I got to go get some air. So there you go. You answered that question. He strapped himself onto two sea turtles. No, uh, he balanced on them kind of thing. No, he on said his, he strapped him down. On his feet. Strapped him to his feet. Yeah. But he swam to shore. There we go. Because she immediately rushes to him. There's no hesitation. No. The answer of what she wants most, solved. Boom. Right there. But here's the deal. Elizabeth was playing this game with Jack. The whole pirate thing to get him to do what she wants. Maybe a bit confused and distracted she was. That's my Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> but she absolutely forgot that Jack is a pirate. He lies. He does what generally is in his best interest. Yeah, she was like shocked. That's what I'm saying. Everyone else knows this. And the fact that she feels betrayed seems to snap her back to reality. It's like, oh yeah, I'm not in love with him. I can't even trust this guy. So what's great is we get this round table of reactions too. Elizabeth is in shock. Like, oh my God, he actually lied to me. Told me some untruths. Will confronts Jack. I mean, not actually knowing Jack. Okay. Because he did try to get Will back. I mean, I have to give Jack his dues. He did give a... Half-hearted? Yeah, half-hearted try. Norrington, on the other hand, this is like gold right here. He gives the look of... Almost like an eye roll kind of thing. That says, you're, uh... She-iting me. You're, uh... (laughs) You're you're kidding me. No kidding. I have no... This is Jack. Norrington's like, I have no chance now. Well, that, but... Will's back... 
it's but that's a different part oh because there's the initial reaction when jack is like caught in the lie norrington's like of course he tricked will onto the dutchman yeah i can see him adding a notch to the elizabeth is naive tally here (laughs) because it's a great moment and it's a standout part of the scene that's for sure because this all plays directly off the previous revelation that Jack told the truth of Davy Jones still beating heart. We got that earlier. Right. No one really believed that crazy tale. I mean, who would? That's the realistic beauty of it. Because maybe Jack doesn't even quite believe it as they go in for a listen. It's like, is, is this real? Is this really yeah. going to be her? Because then Norrington completely shocked that he was telling the truth. But that only lasts a moment until the William Turner bomb drops and all perceptions are shattered. Because, yes, Jack lies and tells the truth. Whatever in his interest, that's what he's going to do. Is it so hard, people? Norrington seems to be (laughs) the only one on board with this kind of concept. But it completes the scene. I mean, it's like, wow, can he actually be trusted? And two seconds later, what the hell was I thinking, believing I could trust this guy? (laughs) Because he always keeps everyone guessing. Even did in The Curse of the Black Pearl, he's doing that kind of stuff. And I should step back for a second, too. Because you're right. There's more than Jack lies reaction from everyone, too. Because there's another great set of reactions when Elizabeth spots Will. Norrington gives him the deflated, like, ego-bursting look. Right. Like, I'm done. It's, oh, it's over. God. This dude there's who stole no my woman. He's kissing her. She loves him. That could have been me. Yeah. I'm a I, I have dog. no chance whatsoever. He was, he was waiting for Jack to break her heart or upset her. Yes, I think or something. So. so she can come running to him. Now Will's back in the picture. And he's like, oh, man. I'm done. He was hovering there waiting. That's possible. Yeah. But he also is a little bit teed off at Elizabeth anyways for the whole process. But Norrington's Eeyore. That's what he is. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Will's (laughs) back. But, I mean, maybe he still harbors those feelings for Elizabeth. But, like, masking them with this rough exterior that he's indifferent to this all. Because when he sees them meeting up and kissing and all that, it's like... He couldn't hide what was actually his real feelings there. Because no. every other time he's kind of been eye rolling and kind of pushing her off and like, oh, I don't really care. Yeah. But now the true feelings come out when he sees that. He's like, oh, damn it. Yeah. Either that or it just took him back before he had all these issues. And he's like, he was just thinking, oh, yeah, I was once Commodore and had everything going on. And now I'm an idiot. Yeah. I'm a drunkard. Meanwhile, Jack gets that crazy shifty eye like thing going on. It's like, uh, He's like, what happened here? He's yeah. Like, I've just been caught red-handed. How the hell do I handle this one? What about Elizabeth? Well, I thought I was going to get her. Yeah, and that's the other thing. He's like, oh, man. Uh, swear, Will, I didn't touch her. But it goes on. He gets like in this defensive, too. It's like, uh, his only reaction is, how the hell did you get here? Yeah. What the hell are you doing here? And how dare you, sir? And his kind of weird, too. He's like poking out his belly. Because he's, 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 he's kind of swaying. There. He's doing a swaying thing. And then, of course, like you mentioned, there's the callback to the sea turtles, the infamous sea turtle escape. Yep. Nice sarcasm, Will. <laughs> Jack also has this quick, slight lip movement there, too. I don't know if you saw that. It's almost a bit angry. It's like he got caught. Will is spoiling his plans. It's this short-lived but like minor twitch. It shows Jack's true feelings for a moment before he goes into this recovery mode. Yeah. That's what's awesome. An actual glimpse behind the facade of Jack's true feelings. Not just what he wants people to see, but what he actually feels. Because he's really good at just showing what he wants people to see. But that, like, lip bite kind of thing where it twitches is, is, is really telling 
of what he wanted and how he's really ticked off that Will just pops back and all of his plans are spoiled. There is a big question I have, though. What's your question? (sighs) Thanks for responding. If you're in this situation, do you immediately kill Davy Jones? I mean, like like our true-to-form rash Will Turner? Or do you open the chest and, uh... Oh, okay. Do you open the chest and just stab the heart? Or do you take kind of more of the jack thing going on? Well, it depends. I mean, if it's true that you can control Davy Jones with possession of his heart and the Kraken, I want the control. Really? You're power hungry. Oh, yeah. I, I would want the control. Wow. I think I'm with Will. I'm like, screw that Black Pearl him? and Jack. I mean, the big picture is ending Jones' terror on the seas. Not concerned with one ship and Yeah, but you Jack. have control of him at that point in time. Do then. you? So then he doesn't have, he can't do any terror. Now, am I, with my current knowledge of situations there, or well, am I in that in-universe thing? Because if I have my current knowledge and in, in seeing movies and how things turn out, I know that the bad guy should always just kill, or you should kill right away. Well, yeah. Not stall. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I don't well, want the stall because well, then I'm I saying. know that you're going to end up losing the heart and all of a sudden I'm going to be cracking fodder. <laughs> what? I'm just that saying. That might be the if, episode title, cracking fodder. If, it, if it, it is true that you possess the heart, then you rule the seas. Then I want to rule the seas. Yeah, you're power hungry. I just know that that somehow turns bad for me. Okay, let's be For honest. You, if not I'm me, though. if I'm really in that situation, you're right. I'd probably choose power because I'm exactly. uh, that's how I am. Yeah. yeah. So maybe you're right. At least I'd for like a short to, while. I'd like to think that I would do the right thing, yeah, but you wouldn't. Damn it, pirate. At least for a short while. Because obviously Jack is in it for himself. I mean, the fact that he plans to recruit 99 souls or so to cover his debt says it all. But why battle this supernatural? Supernatural. <laughs> supernatural. It's a new word. <laughs> Supernatural. I mean, why why go after this uh, crazy fish dude? Let's just say that. When you can end this all. Deal with the Kraken later. Especially if it gets the Pearl and Jack. Maybe it just settles back down to a peaceful slumber after it's done its chore. Maybe. But if it, on the other hand, if it like continues to just rampage the seas forever because there's nobody to call it back, then I could side with Jack. But one ship and one man, I might be willing to actually pay that price if it's somebody else's ship and Jack to get rid of the terror of the sea that's ferrying souls to the other side. Yeah. That's just... Not I'd like ferrying to, souls. I'd like to think that I would do that. But yeah, the power yeah. Uh, might, might be consumed you, by power. You know you want the power for at least a little while. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. There you go. Another idiom for the day. By that Mark dude. Yeah, but if you have the power, you're going to do good with it. (laughs) I'm going to do good by lining my pockets with gold. (laughs) I'll tell you that. Like I just said, didn't you just hear me? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. (laughs) Tiny bit of power corrupts absolutely. And I'm not sure what's going on during this scene when it comes to some uh, visuals, because I'm going to talk some background stuff, though. I got this distinct impression that some of these shots with Will and Elizabeth against the beach and ocean background, uh, maybe pickup shots. Kind of green screen action. Something about the way the background appears. It just looks set up. It doesn't. Okay. I'm not saying that it is, but I got that vibe like are they on a stage here. I don't know. At some points it looked like it. At some points it didn't. I don't know if they got back to uh, the land of palm trees, Hollywood, and said, you know what? We need to. We need some other shots. Maybe. I don't know. I'm on the fence about it. The problem. Again, we go back to the same problem again. We're looking at a Blu-ray. 
Yeah. That is how old? Uh, I don't remember when this one was released. We'd have to go back and check the date. Anyway, it's old. You know what I mean? Compared to a ultra 4K television. That's possible. I don't know. I mean, a lot of things, even some new stuff, you're going, I don't know about that. Possible. You know? Uh, Maybe. Uh, I'll reserve judgment. Okay. But I did watch an old school DVD. Yeah. Put it in. Okay. Iron Man, by the way. Okay. So probably got it when it like just came out. Yeah. And that thing on our TV, man, the quality was not good. I mean, really? it was good, but when you looked at it, you're like, oh man, this is, yeah, this is, yeah. And I'm not talking just like special effects. I'm talking actual just, just everything, just the whole picture. Yeah. But some of them just don't. Yeah. Some of them, the resolution is just not holding up. We also have to mention the music in these minutes. Because okay. there's quite a variety of things going on that actually pairs well with the activity and the themes here. So the first piece is called Unearthing the Chest. And obviously when the trio are pulling the chest from the ground and kind of has like this buildup of intensity and anticipation, really is this incredible lead up actually. That's what we've been waiting to find. It's like all or nothing is the legend true. We're going to find out. Here's the big moment for the movie. And that's the lead up that 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 piece of music has right when they're about to open it. And then it fades into this obvious return of the music box element yeah. when they're like rummaging around the chest. Right. Like those letters, that the love of Calypso. Music box. Yeah, tragic love element. Yeah. And then when Jack lifts the dead man's chest out of the outer chest, the chest from the outer chest, the music box element then transitions to the dead man's chest sound effect that kind of that spooky dark element that that theme music for the for the dead man's chest. Yeah. And then as soon as Will proclaims it, I'm alive! You know, he gives that, I'm here. Jumps out of nowhere in a beach all of a sudden. But it triggers the expanded track, Will Arrives music. It's like this bigger, more boisterous piece. It's like fitting of a hero returns. That's what's going on there. And then there's actually one more piece. The beginning of the three-way sword fight. Now, you can leave that euphemism all by itself right there. But it kind of blusters in when Jack draws his sword on Will. Again, leave the euphemisms there. They they're, they don't need any help. They're all there by themselves, out in the open. But that's five music elements in a span of two minutes. And I think it works well. It doesn't feel rushed. No. I mean, it's a roller coaster of emotions and anticipation that's happening. But I think it works well in this particular couple of minutes, those, those five music pieces. Yeah. And I was actually pretty shocked to see that there were so many in that small span of, of there was film. There's a lot, lot going on there. That's right. A lot of transitions and a lot of, like you say, emotions. I also have a few things in the script I wanted to mention. Okay. For this Isla Cruz's scene. When Jack identifies the spot to dig, you know, where Elizabeth was sitting. Yeah. The infamous bum euphemism thing. Yeah. The script directs him to actually make an X in the sand with his toe. Like an X marks the spot. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Pirate movie checklist. Boom. Check. Right there. We got our X marks the spot. Oh, here's right where we pick up, though. Kind of in this set of minutes. Because that one was kind of before. So that was the lead right. up. But yeah. this is now I'm going to talk exactly what's happening in these two minutes. And okay. there's some interesting things in this script. So there's some direction here that happens as we're scrolling through the script. And it says, it, well, it sets the scene. It says, the classic tableau, a Howard Pyle painting. Pirates gathered around a hole on a deserted island. So I thought, well, that's weird. They actually called out like a a painter or an illustrator yeah. to help set the mood for how they wanted it to look in the film. 
Which I thought was interesting because yeah. they said it's a Howard Pyle painting. Huh. That was setting the the whole scene here. And Howard Pyle, he was uh, born in 1853, died in 1911. Was an American illustrator and author, primarily of books for young people. And his 1883 classic publication, The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood, remains in print to this day. Oh, wow. And his other books frequently have like this medieval European setting or something like that. And it, and I think there's even like a, a four-volume set on King Arthur that he had as well. But he's also known for his illustration of pirates. And this is where it gets interesting because he's credited with creating what has become the modern stereotype of pirate clothing and dress. Oh, really? Yes. Howard Pyle, mentioned in the script, is the guy who we now can clap our hands to and thank for having our pirate garb. So everybody out there who's doing some kind of cosplay, pirate work, pirate play, true pirates, can thank uh, Howard, Howard Pyle, for for setting that tone. Yeah, the look. He published his first novel, Otto of the Silver Hand, in 1888. He also illustrated historical and adventure stories for periodicals such as Harper's Magazine and St. Nicholas Magazine. Huh. All things that resonate with our audience, probably. Everybody's got their Harper's Magazine in hand while they're listening to the show here. Maybe doing a Mark Twain impersonation. His novel, Men of Iron, was adapted as the movie The Black Shield of Falworth in 1954. Probably another classic in everybody's DVD library there, their Blu-ray library. Their digital download now. Definitely mine. It's on our Voodoo, Voodoo account. Maybe I'll watch it. The Black Shield of Falworth. But for our sakes, setting the pirate look we still adore today, now that's gold there. Because I'll... Okay, I'm going to make a second promise for the Facebook group, which is really going to get me in trouble if I don't do it. I'm going to add a link to this Project Gutenberg. Okay, yeah, the Gutenberg Bible kind of stuff. Project Gutenberg. <laughs> this, this goes is, back to Pawn Stars. This is where we're getting... Yeah, this is this is now getting into the nerdy side of things. Okay, but anyways, Howard Pyle's Pirates... I'm going to post it there. It's it's a long read. You don't have to read it. But you can skim through and check out some of the illustrations and get an idea of how he changed the way we perceive pirates. You know, uh, he gave us classic episodes like Seinfeld's The Puffy Shirt. You know, the pirate thing. Can you spare some change for an old buccaneer? <laughs> there you go. I'll try and do that. Script also identifies the contents of the chest, actually. In the script, they call out the contents of the chest. Oh, really? That they do. What's in the chest? I'm so glad you asked, because I was going to present it no matter what, actually. But here, here's the deal, and I don't know if I saw this. There's a deal? Yeah. A long white dress. Actually calls out a long white dress in the box. It, from the script. I don't know. It doesn't... I don't think Unless it translated... Unless it's underneath, but yeah. I'm guessing it's almost like a long white dress, maybe wedding dress thing. But I don't know. Mm. They didn't say wedding dress. They just said a long white dress. But come on, white dress? Yeah. It's a wedding dress. There's a lovely conch shell. Some dried flowers. Strand of white pearls. Got that. Lace. Love Got letters. That. All the mementos of love gone bad. Seek adventure. The black moons will sail. Years into the future. Pirates will prevail. Finally we've conquered death. All our worries gone. Every night our souls will rest. Till the break of dawn. And the ship sails on. Back into beyond. Over again. When I sing my song. Until the end, centuries across the sea There's not enough for me All I want is to be free And hail Captain Blood On and on eternally With a life of piracy Hail the curse of Gilmaggie And hail Captain Blood That's what it says. That was the exact 
exact wording from the script. Wow. Yeah. So we get some of that. We don't get it yeah, all. Yeah, no, you don't get it all. It would have been hard to translate maybe if there's a yeah, dress Yeah, I, I could see the dress missing. Conch shell? You don't see that. I don't see that. Yeah. Maybe it was just too big. It was. It wouldn't fit properly That's probably with the box what it is. and trying to get it out. They probably had to fight with it, so they said, you know what, we're done. that dead man's chest inside the chest was actually, yeah, it's a bit bigger. Yeah. Than, than probably, otherwise you'd have like this giant pirate's treasure chest out there. Yeah. Then you don't they wouldn't be able to lift it. And, yeah. But in the script, and I didn't go further because I didn't want to spoil it for myself and looking at the script, which maybe for the show would have been handy to have. But it doesn't actually say anything about the dead man's chest being in the chest or the heart or oh, anything really? like that. Yeah. That's not called out in that paci- well, Pacific. A- Jeez. Now I'm saying specific for Pacific. <laughs> the specific Pacific. ocean. Let me be Pacific about that. You got to go to the, <laughs> go to hit the specific ocean and make a left. Anyways, that's where I'm going to officially end. Love gone bad though. Love gone bad. Yeah. Love for sale. Love Appetizing for sale. love for sale. Yeah. Anything else? Anything else on your end besides a want ad? You know, Heather Black Pearl show host looking for a proper pirate. <laughs> love for sale. Okay. Do you have anything else? No, nothing on my nothing end. Nothing else? Nope. Just some pearls you apparently have that I could hawk for uh, cash at Pond Stars. I don't think they're Gold quality and pearls. Pawn. I no. think they're just, they're hand me down pearls. No. Are they real pearls? That's a good question. question. All right. If you don't have anything else, then I uh, guess I'm going to just say thanks for listening, Scallywags. If you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. Helps us out, and we'd greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. Yeah, that's the pirate hotline. You can give us a shout. I may or may not play your uh, voicemail on the show, especially if you're calling me out. How dare you? But you can, uh, you can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlshow.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook, our Facebook listeners group, and on Twitter. If you're interested in best of clips, you can sometimes find me on SoundCloud. All the links are on blackpearlshow.com. It is that easy to find us. So we'll be back next week with the latest episode of the Black Pearl Show, tackling minutes 108 and 109, I believe. That's a dead man's chest. Bringing back the recurring segment, Really Bad Eggs, so we'll be prepared for that. It's been a while. Now we have some fodder. You can really digest that, review it, come back with some hard-hitting breakdown of some lines, our favorite line from the last X number of episodes we want to do. And, of course, delivering Pirates of the Caribbean info to the masses as the dirty, filthy bilge rats we are. Analyzing, scrutinizing, and plundering. Yeah, plundering resources just like all these filthy humans. (laughs) Until then, Scallywags, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum and the rum drinking to a maximum. Oh, it sounds like a plan. Enjoy the weekend. Across the sea is not enough for me. All I want is to be free and hail Captain Blood. On and on eternally, what life will piracy. Hail the curse of Gilmanky and hail Captain Blood. Hail Captain Blood. been listening to the Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, Scallywags. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun, I think all you dirty, filthy bilge rats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. 
but I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music, that's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout-out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, maybe Heather. This is a Shoutreach Media Production.